Good morning, Lighthouse. I am John Martin, and I get to help check in your kids, and uh, also part of the Celebrate Recovery ministry. Uh, please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. And these are the words of Nehemiah. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sembalat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 55th day, sorry, the 20th, 25th. I think it's 52nd. I'm going to have to check it. <laughs> um, anyway, the wall was finished. In the month of Elul, in 52 days. Oh, there we go. The 25th day of Elul, in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Thank you, John. All right, let's pray. Lord, we make way now in our hearts to receive your word and uh, the, the sanctifying truth that the Spirit would impart to each of us this morning. Your word says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, Lord, we trust that that work is going to happen this morning. And so give us, Lord, greater discernment greater backbone spiritually, greater stability in our relationship with you. For surely these are treacherous days in which we live, and so God, let your word do its work in us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is our last sermon out of Nehemiah for a couple weeks. Next week, we begin our Christmas, three-part Christmas series. Next week is Acoustic Christmas Morning, where we kind of break it down. We set up in the middle of the auditorium here. We sing together. Uh, it's a, we've done that for years, and it's a super, it's one of my favorite services of the year. And, uh, and then on Christmas Eve day, which is a Sunday, we'll 
have part two of, oh, the series is called Jesus, Our Brother. So we're gonna be looking at the, that unique relationship that not only is Jesus God, who's become man, and so on, but we're actually related to him as family. And there's a lot of implications to that relationship, as we'll discover. So, and then, uh, on Christmas Eve, Eve, at 5 o'clock, not 5.30, not 4.30, not 6 o'clock, but at 5 o'clock, we'll have our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And, uh, and I look forward to all of that. But this morning, uh, it's Nehemiah chapter 6. I heard a story, comes from a century or so ago. There was a, a man uh, on a train. The train was getting ready to leave. The conductor begins to go through the train and check people's tickets and all that kind of thing. And he comes up to this man and he looks at his ticket and the conductor says, sir, I'm sorry, but I think you're on the wrong train. And the man said, well, what, I, I mean, the ticket agent told me this was the right train. I mean, he pointed right to it. And after a little bit of discussion, the conductor goes back to check with the ticket agent. And before long, it became clear that the conductor was on the wrong train. <laughs> Leaders need to know where they are going. They need to know where they are leading the people who are following them. Nehemiah was a great leader. He knew exactly where he wanted to go, what needed to be accomplished, and because he was so clear-eyed, the vision was so clarified in his heart and in his mind that anything that might be detrimental to the accomplishing of the mission, he recognized and he rejected immediately. And so throughout the, the series, I've been saying that when you answer the call of God on your life, uh, like Nehemiah did, the enemy will spring into action. Sanballats and Tobias will start you know, popping into your life and creating confusion and havoc and all the rest. And they will use a, a variety of means as we've been seeing. To this point, Sanballat and Tobiah and a growing list of enemies have threatened to attack and kill Nehemiah and God's people. That was the first thing, like, we're just gonna kill you. And then they, last week, we saw that they eventually invited Nehemiah to a meeting. Let's go, let's go talk this out in the plains of Ono, in a, in a kind of a halfway place, and maybe we can come to some sort of compromise together, you know, some sort of a, a, of a diplomatic solution. Nehemiah refused repeated invitations, which we said was not nice of him. There was a lot of people repenting of being nice this week. <laughs> I had so many discussions like, dude, that whole thing on being nice. Like, apparently there's a lot of nice people in our church. Uh, and uh, so we're trying to change that. And <laughs> so when that didn't work and Nehemiah refused. They wrote an open letter saying that Nehemiah was really on a secret mission to become the king of the area. Listen, fake news is not a new phenomenon. 
the, the Old Testament version of CNN and MSNBC and all the rest were more than happy to carry the story of Nehemiah being a, a, a closet narcissist fascist who was pursuing ultimate power in the region. That's the narrative that they spread. And so they reported that there were actually secret cells of people, prophets that were dotted throughout the land. And at the right time, these, these domestic terrorists were gonna spring into action and declare Nehemiah the king and take over the country. They were controlling the narrative in this way. It happened then, it's happening now, it's happened every age in between. Leaders can expect to be slandered, lied about. Good leaders will not return the favor because good leaders are living by a higher standard. So good leaders fear God and they know that God is not okay with slander. Proverbs 10, 18, whoever utters slander is a fool. It reminds me of the, the young guy who, he worked at a, at a grocery store and he was kind of a cocky, arrogant kid. He would kind of run his mouth. And uh, a lady comes up to him one day and asks if she could buy a head of lettuce, but she wanted to buy only half of the head. And so this, this new grocery worker says, half a head? Are you serious? I mean, these, these grow in holes, and that's how we sell them. We sell them as a whole head of lettuce. And she said, you mean, I, I've been shopping here all these years, and you're not willing to sell me half a head of lettuce. And the, the kids goes, look, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the manager about it. So the guy marches over to the manager uh, and says, you won't believe this, but there's this lame brain lady she, she wants to know if she can buy a half a head of lettuce. And just then, the kid sees out of the corner of his eye that the lady followed him. And she's hearing every word that he said. And so the kid adds, and by the way, this nice lady here was wondering if she could buy the other half. So, kind of got out of that. And the manager saw the, the quick thinking of the kid. There, Man, where did you... Where'd you learn how to think that quickly on your feet? And the kid says, well, I grew up in, in Grand Rapids. It's a city that's, that's known for its beautiful hockey teams and its ugly women. And the manager got angry in his face and said, you know, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And the kid goes, what hockey team did she play for? Slander, lies, they saturate our culture, perhaps like never before. You know, manipulating information to push certain narratives about people is so commonplace that people have lost all trust in our institutions, in our, in our media. I just saw a, a Gallup poll, a fairly recent Gallup poll, 7% of Americans have a great deal of trust in the media. 7%. And I read that and I thought, what were those 7% drinking when they answered that? <laughs> and for the first time, uh, the percentage of Americans with no trust at all in the media 
is higher than the percentage of those with a great deal or a fair amount combined. So, so we're, it's an all-time low because people understand, like, man, people are pushing narratives. They're not, they're not reporting truth, they're pushing narratives. So those who traffic in lies and slander, they will one day stand before the God who commanded, thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. And there will be hell to pay, quite literally. The attacks on Nehemiah and God's people continue. The story takes some surprising turns this morning. Three things for us to consider. Number one is spiritual manipulation. Spiritual manipulation. This is an important subject this morning. Look at verse 10. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehethabel, who was confined to his home, he said, so Shemaiah talking, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Nehemiah talking, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood, Nehemiah says, and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name and, and in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things they did and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. What an interesting Scenario going on here. Nehemiah gets invited to Shemaiah's house there in Jerusalem. We don't know anything about this guy other than what we have here in Nehemiah 6. Verse 12 says he prophesied. So, so Shemaiah is a prophet and he prophesied, or he's considered a prophet, I should say. He prophesied that men were coming to kill Nehemiah in the night. And so he claimed to hear from God, he claimed to speak for God, he claimed to be a prophet. So he says, Nehemiah, the Lord showed me there are men coming to kill you tonight, and so let's go meet together in the house of the Lord, and then we'll go in, we'll shut the doors, and we'll be safe in the house of God. Nehemiah's response is amazing to me. Credible leader. Should such a man as I run away? Nehemiah's like, you know, I, I'm not some pathetic coward who hides away in safety while my people are in danger. It's interesting to me that cowards will end up in the lake of fire, according to Revelation 21.8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and so on, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Cowardice is a sin. Brent Smith was a real cowboy, not the, the rhinestone kind that Glenn Campbell used to sing about but the real kind that lived out in the prairies of Nevada mainly with the cows moving animals around. And he would sleep under the stars most nights. He preferred it. 
He had a handlebar mustache that went way down below his chin, you know, one of those epic mustaches. He wore dusty cowboy hat and chaps pretty much wherever he went. His legs were permanently bowed from being wrapped around his horse. He wasn't religious for most of his life. He lived by a cowboy code, you know, you uh, don't shoot first and and you keep your word and you protect women and children and you know that kind of a thing, code of honor. And the one thing that Brent Smith could not stand, hated more than anything, was a coward. Made him sick. Cowards made him sick. One of the cowboys that was working with Brent that season was a Christian and Brent thought Christianity, religion is for weak people, people who need a crutch in life. But that cowboy, that Christian cowboy gave Brent a Bible. And Brent Smith respected the cowboy and thought, okay, well, I'll read at least some of this thing. And he read and read again and read the next day. And he came to Revelation chapter 21 where it says that outside are the cowardly. And he thought, yeah, the cowardly. They're going to hell for sure. He was glad about that. And he pondered it some more and some more. And the Lord spoke to Brent and said, you're the coward. This, this gruff, tough, skin-like leather, steely-eyed cowboy was a coward. You're the coward, Brent. I died for you, and you won't stand up for me. And it broke him in two. It made him sick that he was a coward. And he gave his life to Jesus that day. And he would go on to become an evangelist, and. Uh, work with Franklin Graham in his ministry, and he came to preach at Lighthouse Church on a number of occasions. Nehemiah says, should such a man as I, what do you, what do you think I am? That's insulting to me. Well, but then this Shemaiah says, or rather, Nehemiah says to Shemaiah, what man can go into the temple and live? You know, so Shemaiah prophesies, you're going to get, you know, they're coming to kill you tonight, and let's go to the temple. We'll hide out in there. And then Nehemiah says, what man can go into the temple and live? I won't do it. The law of Moses forbid that anyone but the priest go past the, the altar uh, of the burnt offering altar. You can't go past there. Uh, Numbers 18.7, the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Even King Uzziah, uh, when he wanted to go past that point, he was stopped by uh, 2 Chronicles 26 carries this story, but he was stopped by 80 like tough priests who were like, dude, you are not going in there. And they stopped him. And as they did, leprosy broke out on his forehead and began to spread over his body because he was heading in past the danger point. Listen, Nehemiah, under, he knew the Bible, okay? He knew scripture. He knew the law of God. And so, because he knew, he could recognize a false prophet when 
he heard one. He could recognize a false prophecy when it was given. True prophecy will never contradict the written word of God. Ever. If there's a contradiction between what the prophet says and what the Bible says, that is a false prophet. Because Shemaiah tried to get Nehemiah to go against the word of God, Nehemiah knew that Shemaiah wasn't sent from God. Even though he claimed to be sent from God, even though he says, oh, I love God, and I'm a prophet, and thus saith the Lord, and I'm spiritual, and I've got gifting, and I hear from God, and it, Nehemiah didn't care about any of that. He just cared that, you know what, do what you said when against the word of God, you're a God did not send you. The Bible has a lot to say about false prophets. Jesus famously said that false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing. But inside, underneath the sheep's clothing, they are ravenous wolves. They'll claim to hear from God and speak for God, but they are false prophets speaking false prophecies. And they do so for personal gain. That's why they do it. Peter, 2 Peter 2, 3, he says about false prophets, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, made up stories, testimonies, great things God has done through their ministry. So Nehemiah 6, 13 says, for this purpose, he, Shemaiah, was hired so that I should be afraid and act in this way so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. He was hired. He did it, he did it for money. He did it for gain. That was his ministry. Give me some money and I'll go say what you need me to say in the name of the Lord. So Shemaiah got a fat check for saying, thus saith the Lord. You know, all those prosperity preachers who live in mansions and fly around the world in their private jets to prophesy to people, you know, saying things like, the Lord's told me, you know, if you plant a seed of faith of $1,000 or whatever to our ministry, you're going to get your breakthrough that you've been, you know, stuff like that. They are false prophets. God did not send them. They did not hear from God. They're not speaking for God. They commandeer biblical language in order to spiritually manipulate gullible people. It's come out recently that um, the prominent nationally known pastor has been involved in extramarital affairs uh, going back decades and the pastor was generally well respected, especially in charismatic circles and um, he was known for prayer and having, uh, you know, continuous 24-hour, seven days a week prayer. And it's alleged that he would, he would use prophetic language to manipulate young girls. So, and this, at least the, you know, one of the accusers, she was 19, he was in his 40s, 
And, and in this ministry, a lot of young people, a lot of young girls, and, and he would say things like, the Lord told me that my wife is going to die and we're gonna get married. He's, he's saying this to a 19-year-old girl. This, he was 40-something-year-old pastor whom this girl looked up to, respected, received the word of God from, False prophets commandeer biblical language in order to manipulate people for personal gain. That's what they do. They say that they're on our team. They're not on our team. Peter says, 2 Peter 2, 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. You can't listen to what they say, gang, declaring themselves to be a prophet. You have to measure what their prophecy is against the scripture in their life. And if it doesn't match up, then they are a false prophet. It's that simple. And I know somebody's gonna be offended, but so be it. That's the word of the Lord. Number two, we gotta move on. Number two, spiritual victory, spiritual victory. Not only spiritual manipulation that was going on, they hired, Tobiah hired a bunch of prophets. These are Jewish prophets, by the way. They're, they're Jews, okay? And so it was Shemaiah and a, and a woman, Noadiah, a prophetess, and plus other prophets, all hired, all given money to prophesy falsely to Nehemiah to try and trip him up, but now secondly, spiritual victory. Watch this, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. So the wall that lay in ruins for 140 plus years that they couldn't ever get put back together after the temple had been rebuilt, 140 years of just laying there in 52 days, it's done. Gates are hung. It's in operation again. It's amazing. The enemies of God and his people heard the news. They freaked out with fear. Every nation, by the way, had their gods. <laughs> and a nation would fight against nation, and they thought of it as their god or gods against the other nation's god or gods. So when they say, oh, their god has helped them, they're going, okay, we have our gods, they have their god, their god helped them. And it scared them, like, Wow. They're powerful people now. And they were right. God did help them, just like God helps his people whenever we answer the call of God on our life. You know, Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. That's the story of Nehemiah, isn't it? He, he got the burden from his brother hearing about the condition of Jerusalem and, and God's people and it burdened him and he began to pray. And as he began to pray, he knew that the Lord was calling him and he committed his way to the Lord. He spoke when the door opened to King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, 
just generously gave Nehemiah everything he needed. And Nehemiah just thanked the Lord. Every step of the way, God acted because Nehemiah committed his way to the Lord. That's what God does when God's people commit their way to the Lord. God goes into action. Yes, the Sanballats and the Tobias will jump into action, but God goes into action. That's why we have Nehemiah again and again going, Lord, strengthen me, take care of this situation over here. Trusting the Lord. The wall was completed, fear spread to God's enemies. Fear does that, by the way. Fear spreads, but so does courage. Courage is contagious. Think, think of what it must have been like at the, the Valley of Elah way back in David's day when there was that big giant down in the valley just trash-talking the army of Israel, just blaspheming God, just saying nasty stuff. And no one, no one would go down and face the guy. He was challenged. Just send your strongest dude down here and we'll fight it out. Winner take all. And there was no one. All of the soldiers are cowering on the sidelines. And then this shepherd boy comes cruising in with some snacks for his brothers. And he hears the big galoot saying what he's saying. He goes, that, that's not okay. Like it, somebody needs to shut that guy's mouth. And he saw that there was nobody doing it. So you know the story, don't you? He, I'll do it. I'll do it. I mean, that guy can't do that. He, he's, he's taunting the armies of Israel and he's blaspheming God. Can't, can't do that. So David goes down there. And can you imagine being one of the soldiers, you know, you're sitting on the bench, on the bleachers, on the sideline going, oh, this will be good. This punk kid, he's going to have his head separated from his body. It'll be a mess. David goes down there with his sling, grabs the five stones. He, doesn't, he only needs one. Begins swinging that thing. The rock flies, hits the big giant in the head, sinks into his forehead. Giant falls back, timber, bam. And all those soldiers sitting on the bleachers looked at each other like, what just happened? And David pulls up the head of Goliath. Yeah! You know, blood just dripping, you know, woo! And everybody on the sidelines, woo! And they come off the sidelines. That's the point of the story. One courageous faithful act spread to the whole company of God's people and they got off the bench and into the fight. Courage spreads, just like fear does. They got a great victory. Well, lastly, please note spiritual treason. So, so spiritual manipulation first and the spiritual victory but lastly, spiritual treason. Verse 17, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah 
were bound by oath to him because he was the son of Shechaniah, the son of Era, the son of Jehonan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So, let me just briefly unpack that. Here's, here's what's happening. Some of the, the wealthier Jews, the nobles, were in relationship with Tobiah, one of the enemies who is against Nehemiah and against God's people. Tobiah was tied to these people via marriage and his son as well. So they were connected to the Jews via marriage. And so these same Jews who were uh, participate, we assume, participating in working on the wall, they were sending letters to Tobiah telling him everything that was happening. They were feeding him information. Tobiah would write them back. They would tell Nehemiah how great a guy Tobiah was. You're really, you're misjudging Tobiah. Nehemiah, like he's really a good guy, like he's nice. And he's, you know, he, he's really, he, he's just fun to be around this Tobiah guy. And then they would report everything Nehemiah said back to Tobiah. Now apparently Nehemiah chose not to try and open their eyes to Tobiah's actual character but the Jews were colluding with their enemies and they were bound by some kind of an oath. Probably had to do with business. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. It says in Proverbs 28, 4. But such as keep the law, contend with them. So you've got people, we would say, in the church that are praising the wicked, that are, you know, selling the secrets. Nehemiah saw Tobiah for who he was. He was aware that there were traitors in the camp. He recognized the false prophets, the false prophecies that came to him and tried to trip him up. As a result, Nehemiah was not deterred or distracted by any of these attacks, but the wall was finished, which set the table for the greater work to come. The greater work, the revival, the dusting off of the scriptures, the opening up of the Bible, the word of God going into the hearts of the people, breaking up the fallow ground, repentance happening amongst the people of God, revival breaking out in the city of God amongst the people of God. And this, this is what it was all leading to, gang. Can I suggest to you this is what is what the building that's going on in your life, the rubble that's been in your life. And now, Perhaps you're, you're, you're seeing God work in you and some of those breaches are getting filled in and the wall is beginning. Listen, there's greater things that God has for you. There's a calling upon your life. And so complete the work, 
follow the Lord. Continue to seek him. Commit your way. Trust in him. He will act. The Lord has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for you. And so you can, you can just begin to walk in that destiny. Walk in those foreordained works and missions and calling that the Lord has placed on your life. And you're gonna see revival in your life and in the people around you. Think of what the Lord might accomplish through us, Lighthouse Church, in this coming year. We're about ready to wrap up 2023, and I think 2024 is gonna be a crazy, nutso year in the world, that's for sure. But think of what God could accomplish through us. If we just committed our way to him, we each of us answered the call of God upon our own lives, and we as a church just, we rally together, worship together, support one another, love one another, knowing, knowing, and this is the crazy thing, that even in our midst, there's probably some people that are against us. It's always been that way, church. You realize that? It's always been that way. The church has always been a mixed multitude. But there's always the true people of God. And so if the true people, and I don't know who you are, by the way. <laughs> you, you know, Jesus said, hey, don't go trying to, to you know, tear out the tares, you know, from among you. Because you're, you're going to destroy a bunch of people who, who don't deserve it. You, I'll take care of that at the end of the age. God will sort that out. So, all those who are born again, spirit-filled, going, man, I'm in. Imagine what the Lord might do in the city of Twin Falls, in the Magic Valley, even other parts of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the wisdom that comes from your word and the Lord, the clarity of it. And, and so, Lord, as we, as we just consider, Lord, the things uh, that come forth from Nehemiah 6, and maybe there's some things that the Spirit was illuminating to us about our own lives and our own situations. And so, Father, I pray that you would just just right now, just commune with your people. Spirit of God, just minister. And as we prepare our hearts for the table, Lord, I pray that you would wash and cleanse us. Lord, together we would, we would pray that, that David prayer. Lord, search me, O oh God. Try me, test me. See if there's any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the everlasting way. Christian, would you, would you just pray that right now? Would you pray that to the Lord for yourself personally? As you get ready to come to the table. And just allow the Lord to bring to your mind, to bring to your thinking, the, the wicked way, the sin. so that you can confess it.
if you're not a believer here this morning, you know, you may, you may have been, you know, thinking like, okay, like I think I believe in Jesus, but I, I don't have the kind of belief like to be like you guys, like, you know, who like are just so into this thing. And so you, you think your, your faith is somewhat deficient. It, it just reminds me of the, and I heard this recounted this past week, but in, I think it's Mark 9, where a father is, is just heartbroken over his son who's demon-possessed, and, and the kid just goes into seizures and foams at the mouth and all this kind of thing, and the father's heartbroken about it. And so he uh, goes to Jesus and, you know, asks Jesus to help his boy. And, and Jesus asks this man, do you believe? And I'm sure in that moment, oh, it was a bit of a struggle. So he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. So in other words, I, Listen, I, I, there's some faith in me, in you, Jesus. There is, but it's imperfect. And so, so I believe, but would you help? I'm just being, being honest with you. Listen, you don't, you don't have to bring a perfect faith to Jesus this morning. You don't have to bring, you, you just bring what you have. And the Lord will help your unbelief. Yes, he will. If you'd like to give your heart, your life to Jesus Christ, trusting him with the, as much faith as you have, raise your hand right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you back here. your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now and say, Lord Jesus, say it out loud, Lord Jesus, I come to you now as a sinner with imperfect faith, but what faith I have, I give it to you. So come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. Be my Savior and my Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's welcome those who pray this morning.